Can you turn, please, to Isaiah chapter 6? Come on, are we getting a clap? It's the Word of God. Yahoo! This is the Word of God. Isn't it good? We just want to know what the Word says so we can do it. Isaiah chapter 6, and I feel to start this way because of the way worship went this morning. And I want to ask you a question. So... When you see the light of Jesus, when you see the glory of Jesus, is that the end of it? Is that the culmination? No. No, it's not. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, because we've talked a lot this morning about seeing the light. We're saying to God, show us the light, the glory of the Lord. Okay, so why do we want him to show us? So that we can have an incredible glory party of our own? Actually, no. So let's go to Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Wow, high and lifted up, exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings, and so on. I'll just go down. They were saying, holy, holy, holy. We'll sing it, don't we? This is like a refrain through scripture. The angels say, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now that is now. Imagine what it's going to be when the kingdom comes. And the, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Yay, says Isaiah, but no, he doesn't. He sees what he is like in this context. And he says, woe is me. I cried, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with a live coal in his hands, which he'd taken from the tongs on the altar, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And we know that in the New Testament, that's the cross. That's the work of the cross. And then I heard the voice of the Lord say, who shall I send and who will go for us? See, this is the result. Ears cleaned out, heart cleaned out, eyes seeing further, and so then he's able to say, here am I. Me and the what God gave him, what a difficult assignment, but he would be with him in it, you know. But the, there's a process when we see the glory of the Lord, the light of the Lord. Lord, show me the light of your presence. And when we are in the light of his presence, it actually shines on our darkness. And God wants us to go through that process of laying down the things that are part of our own darkness and undoneness. And the cross work will do it. As we embrace the work of Jesus' cross, this will do it in our lives. It will cleanse us. It will give us that 
flow of the Holy Spirit washing out. You know, and when the Holy Spirit gushes through you, there's the things that are sticking to the edge of the pipe that just get taken away in the power of that gush of water. And that's the way the cross is for you. When you allow it to do its work, it will not only do a trickle in your life or a sprinkle, it will do a gush through that absolutely rips things off that are clinging to the side of the pipe. You know, some pipes are dirty pipes, and so they dirty the water, and the Lord doesn't want that. He wants us to be a pipe that's cleaned all the way so that we will be able to... Wow. So that's what I'm speaking about this morning, guys. So we're on to Acts 13 and 14, and we're on to the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. So, I mean, mission is a wee bit of a tarnished word because we talk about bombing missions and trade missions. Uh, But this wasn't the way it started. When it was first used in about the 16th century, it was a Christian word, and it was from the Latin missio, which means to send. So mission was being sent, like an emissary. You know that word that we have that comes from the Latin, like an ambassador being sent. The more important thing being who sends you than the person being sent. Because if the toad in the corner sends you, well, then you're not worth anything. But if Almighty God sends you, oh, wow, that is a mission that is amazing and is backed by all the power of Almighty God. So you just want to know who's sending you. That's so important. So a mission's an assignment, and a vacation or a calling, And just an interesting thing, if you translate the Latin word missio into the Greek, the New Testament kind of Greek, do you know what word you get? Apostello, which is the Greek word for being an apostle. So did you know that the term mission and missionary is very closely allied to the term apostle because an apostle is a sent one. So we use that a bit more narrowly, but we've got to know that God's purpose for us is to be sent. All right, so missionary, we've got uh, people who lay down things of their culture and go out to another culture. And I want to tell you that you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people who were sent. You wouldn't hold a Bible in your hand if it wasn't for people who were sent and who actually died because they dared to print the Word of God. But they would not be moved because they were doing it according to what God had sown in their hearts. You know, who told you so that you became a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Somebody told you if it was your mother, your father, your best friend, someone you didn't know on the street, but somebody actually was sent to you. And for hundreds and thousands of years, people have been sent to people who were sent to people who were sent to people who were sent to people, and then it was you that they were sent to. 
So if you look around the world and you see churches there, they're there because someone was sent. And if no one had been sent, they would still be in darkness. And it's not the church building that I'm talking about. It's that structure of almighty God, that family of God that is sown in a country. And there's still countries that need so much more of this. And God doesn't say to us, sit and have lovely worship just for its sake. Because worship is part of seeing God, which is part of God showing you yourself so that you can be clean and you can take all that he gives you out. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas were up to in chapter 13. So I've got to tell you at this stage my favourite and only missionary joke. Okay, and some of you have heard it before, but I have to say it again because it's the only one I've got. So it's a riddle. Um, so how is a missionary like a prune? How is a missionary like a prune? Provocative. Well, it could be. That. You know it's got something to do with toilets, really, don't you? You know. <laughs> So they both do a good work in the dark interior. <laughs> I mean, you've got to laugh, don't you? It's a good one, isn't it, you know? John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Think about that. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So we've had worship because we had mission. It's mission that brought worship. They brought the love of Jesus where we cannot do anything else but lift our hearts to God and say, you are worthy. You've changed my life. Every day of my life you walk with me. You are my God. There is no other. But you see, that was sown through mission. Wow. Okay, so let's look at Acts chapter 1. Who was the first missionary in the Bible, by the way? Who was the first missionary in the Bible? Anyone else? Any takers? You know, I mean, she was a missionary, you're right, but she wasn't the first one. In the Bible, God. Because God the Father is the sending agent for his son, Jesus. And Jesus is the most spectacular missionary example in all of the Bible. He was sent by the Father. He was a sent one. That God's glory would be poured out on the earth. So God's a missionary God. This is right at his heart. So this is not a tag on at the end of all the other lovely things. This is the very, very heart of God. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So receive the Holy Spirit. See, that's the thing. I'm not sending you alone. You know, I'm not sending you with nothing. Hey, have the Holy Spirit to go with you. So it's all right. 
okay, for you and you and you and you and you because the Holy Spirit will enable you. Okay. So God is a missionary God and Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, we can just flick to Matthew 28. Yeah, there we go. Matthew 28. You know this one, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. Therefore, because I have the authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And hey, guys, don't worry, because surely I'm with you always even to the very end of the age. So we need to keep those things in mind when we think about missions. Do you have a good concept of missionaries? Well, you see, I had a bit of a misconception when I was young, and I thought that all missionaries had their hair pulled back in a tight bun if they were women, and if they were men, they were little round men with a balding patch, and probably round glasses as well. Uh, and actually, it was bashed to pieces when my auntie came home from missions, and I had, she, she, they were working in Colombia in South America, and she got into my wardrobe to see what my clothes as a teenager looked like on her, so she could sew some for herself. And I thought, oh, this just isn't quite the missionary idea that I had. See, what kind of missionary idea do you have? And, you know, this determines to some extent whether we're actually keen to go or not. If you have an old-fashioned, fuddy-duddy kind of idea about missions, uh, you're going to be going, oh, I'm not called. But if you see God working in power and you realize that you can partner with him somewhere that he calls you to, um, you're going to be, hey, a whole lot more keen to be part of that team. Actually, I did work with a lady overseas who did look exactly like that. Is awesome. See, it just shows we can make judgments on appearances, but she was a really godly woman. Okay, so I'm just going to go through and we're going to look at these missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to look at some things that we can learn because are you a sent one? Well, there's one down there. Are you a sent one? Okay, so if you're a sent one, well, then these things are going to be applicable to you. Whether God sends you to the lady next door or whether he sends you to another culture, you, people, are a sent one. Okay, so let's go to Acts chapter 13. So Paul and Barnabas had already been together. They'd been off, and actually Barnabas had gone to Paul, or Saul as he was then called, to take him under his wing and teach him how to do the work of the ministry. Because when Saul became a Christian, this was slightly different from being a Jewish Pharisee, just slightly. And Barnabas was used by God to mentor him into Christian, Christian, Christ-centered leadership. And we see that if you go back to Acts 11, we won't go there. So they were sort of in a waiting time. They'd been out on missions. They'd had a wonderful time. And they came back. It says, uh, the last verse of chapter 12, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, Mark, also, John also called Mark. 
Now, in the church at Antioch, and this was their base church at that time, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, were sent down, went down to Cilicia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Okay. So when God gives you an assignment to somewhere that's going to be long-term, you really want to be involved with the church. I want to say that first because, you know, God doesn't do isolation. That's not part of his plan. His plan is family commitment to each other. Whether we're in the same place or whether there's someone serving overseas, our job is to be family. And so what does family do? They cover your weaknesses. That has got to be prayer if you're a long way away. They, they encourage you in all that you're doing and how much it's needed. You know, if you uh, see on TV these um, wild animal programs and, uh, you know, David Attenborough style sort of ones, and you see uh, wildebeests, you know, wildebeests, they go in great big um, uh, herds, masses, thousands of them all at once, and then you see over, just way over on the side, a couple of lions. So what are the lions going to do? They're going to try to separate, and they're looking for those who are weak and who are isolated. And they pick them off. And you know, this is the devil's ploy too. He's looking around for people who are isolated and have weaknesses that he can exploit. And when you go out, I can tell you this from experience, that when you go out on the mission field, there is where the devil will be looking exactly for those things to pick you off because he doesn't want the glory of the Lord to go into that land and you carry it. You know, so this is why it's so important that we're tied firmly to a church. And we can see here that Paul and Barnabas were tied very firmly to this church. And in fact, so much so that God actually spoke to the leadership of that church before he confirmed it. In their heart. Now that doesn't always happen. That's okay. We're we're free of strong rules like that. But you know the key thing is that the call is God's call, and that we hear it from Him and not from someone else. And the thing is that a need does not substitute a call. It does not constitute a call. You can see a need, but it might not be the exact thing that God is calling you to with the set of skills that he gave you. So we want to be listening really carefully. We want to be sitting in his presence. And it says here, they were worshipping and fasting. So they were really serious about their time with family. They weren't just having parties. Oh, let's have dinner together because I haven't seen you for a while. They were deep in the heart of God. What is next, God? What are you saying? 
What do you want us to do? We worship you. We have to go back to worship again. And Lord, show us. Oh, back to worship again. And the Lord was in that place. And he said, this is it. Separate them out. Because I've got a job for them to do. And you know, you might be, some of you might be in that place where you're in the middle of saying to God, well, where? I think I've heard you say you're going. Uh, uh, I'm going, but where? When? How? And you know, this is a waiting time which is very important in our lives if we're in this place. Don't hurry it, just wait. You know, Alex and I actually, I hate to say it for those of you who are hoping for a quick trip through this stage, uh, we waited 35 years because we heard God in our 20s and we went in our 50s. It doesn't matter, because in that time, we must have been really, really slow learners. Um, and in that time, God sowed things in our life. He dealt with weaknesses in our lives that would have been no good on the mission field. You know, and when we went, we went strong. And with these guys, it's the same thing. God gave them a time of mentoring, a time of upskilling. And this is what you do in the waiting time and the mentoring time, you upskill. You assess your abilities and what things the Lord wants to put his hand on and for you to increase in. And, you know, um, just before we went to Laos the first time, um, Alex did an assessment and he said, I need to learn to be an asshole teacher. Oh, there wasn't a Bible thing. We already had done that. But he realized that amongst his skills, this would be a very valuable skill to have. I had done this. I'd taught for, uh, Esau for many years. But Alex thought, I don't want to be Jan's helper. I want to be able to offer myself as a teacher as well. And so he did an online course before we left. And he was used all the time we were in Laos as a teacher of Esau. And very, they were very grateful to gain two teachers instead of one. But, you know, there are things that might be that there are some weaknesses in your Bible knowledge and God wants you to plug in to some kind of Bible training so that you'll have more to offer when you go overseas. But the rule is, bloom where you're planted, guys. Bloom where you're planted. If you're in that waiting time and you haven't yet heard the God, God say, go out to that place to do that thing, bloom where you're planted. Just do the things in the local place that God is calling you to do right now. Assess, learn, uh, take the opportunities to uh, experience new kinds of things in the church and you're ready then for when the Lord says, okay, now go. <laughs> you know, um, it was a very funny. We felt in, when, in our 50s when our kids were off our hands, we felt uh, now's the time. So we're going to do some digging around ourselves. So we had some friends who said, oh, we could use you in Thailand. And we thought, oh, good, we'll go and see them and let's see what will happen there because we're keen to go. It's been a few years. Um, so we booked a ticket. And uh, six weeks before we were to go, I was driving down the motorway and God spoke to me. Uh, and I'd been at a Christian thing and I was just in that special place. I wasn't praying. I was just in that place with the Lord and he spoke to me, and it was so clear, but it was a bit weird, because it wasn't sort of like what I thought it would be. He said, Jan, would you and Alex go to Laos? 
And would you pray through the land? And this is the way I want you to do it. And he gave me about three things that he wanted us fast on rice and water. Don't book. Just go and do and say what I want you to say and go from the south to the north. And you know, it sounded weird. I'm so weird that actually I got, we got weirds to come and Alex didn't say no. I mean, it, I do have some weird ideas and sometimes Alex says, hmm. But he didn't go like that for this one. And, uh, and, it, and Wes actually also didn't do that either. He said, well, it is a bit weird, but I think it's God. And you know, when we went, it was such a blessed time. But the thing is, if you take a risk, the reward is greater. If you're prepared to step out and take a risk, the reward is always greater than if you continue to sit in your comfort zone. You know, this goes in every time in life. You talk to an investor, and they'll say the same. You know, you can actually plummet as well and have a spectacular failure, far more spectacular than at home. But the incredible potential for it to be an explosion of God's goodness and, and work is right there. Okay, so they were called, the church sent them with the Holy Spirit as well. So it wasn't just the church that sent them, but the Holy Spirit sent them, it says it here in verse 4, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And they were also prayed out by the church. You know, this is not a rubber stamp. It's not a rubber stamp to get the church to send you. It's an impartation availability. If you want to have spiritual importation, impartation for going out, well then, get the church to pray for you and ask God to make that a time of impartation from the Holy Spirit because that's what he wants to do and that's what they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. You know, I bet there were such words of encouragement. I bet. Because that's the way God likes to do it. He encourages us off the place he wants us to go. He doesn't give us a whole set of rules that if we don't do it, we'll certainly fail. You know, he wants to encourage us in the things that he sends us to. So, okay, he called them, and then we look at what kind of people they were as missionaries. So the first thing I want to say is that they had a plan. So let's read verse 4 onwards. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to this place, and they travelled to Cyprus. And when they arrived at uh, Salamis, they proclaimed the word in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. And then we look at verse 14. And from Perga they went to, on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down, and then they were invited to speak. So they had a plan to go from something that was sort of common to, that they knew, people, the kind of people they knew, and they were going to work from there. And it worked. It was really good. They were getting all kinds of chances to speak. And you would look at when they spoke, Paul had a chance to give an amazing sermon. I'm not going to read it all to you, but you can read it. And in verse 42, it says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. So it's just leading to more. <clears throat> and when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts 
to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And here, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So, you know, this was really effective ministry. God had his hand on it. He'd obviously shown them a path that would work. So when you first go out, you know, that's a sure thing you need is, is something. You need to know why you're going and what you're going to do. And, you know, when God called us out, he said to us, I want you to pray and worship in that land. That was in when we went to Laos the first time. Pray and worship in that land. I know pray. I know worship. But how do you do that over a land? So we knew the purpose of God. We just didn't quite know how to do it. And it took us a few months to say it's of, of testing. How could we do that in the land? How, what would God um, put his hand on in doing that? And it, it, it wasn't going to be a, just a God bless them today. Surely if he sent us with the whole purpose to pray and worship in the land, it has got to be more than that. And so we had to just dig to find what that was going to mean. And what it ended up meaning was every morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, we had a prayer room that we went to. And we went for however long, and it was usually about an hour and a half. But, you know, we sat with God. We worshipped with God. If God told us to pray something, we prayed it. We wrote it in the journal. We wrote words on the, on the uh, walls. They had lots of post-it notes all over them. We tried to be faithful in something we had never done before. And, you know, this is what um, cross-cultural ministry is about. You will be doing things that you have never done before. And these guys here, they started with things that had a common element with where they'd been at and what they felt they could work with, but as time went on, they had to be flexible because things changed. And, you know, so often it's, uh, as missionaries or as people in our own culture, we stay with things too long. You know, God's hand was on them, but when God's hand lifts off it and it's time for something else, our hand is still on them. Have you experienced that? Because we're comfortable with it. We've got used to it. But the Lord wants to say to us, uh, take your hand off, guys, because if I'm moving on to something else, that next thing will be far more exciting than what you have had because he doesn't move us from something really good to something not so good. He always moves on the increase as we obey him. Okay, so they were purposeful and they were flexible. And what happened was they got some opposition and that opposition led them to go a different way. So if we look for verse 46, chapter 13, verse 46, um, after they got a tremendous amount of opposition from the Jews, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us, I will make you a light. For the Gentiles. See, we see the light of God and we become the light for other people. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life 
believed. So they were flexible enough to change plan when the Lord's Lord directed, and they saw that through some circumstances. So we have to be looking out. We're continually looking. And as missionaries, as sent ones, we need to be looking. Where is God highlighting? When we went into Laos last time, last year, uh, we were looking for the people God was highlighting to give the um, resources to, and we didn't know who they were. Oh, that's a really fun thing. You should try that. God, who is it this morning? It's a really exciting thing, and uh, um, you know I think we shared some of this with you. But we found people, and like we said, we thought, well, why would it be that person? No, 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 no. But the Lord kept taking us back to that person, and we found this this lady. She was engaged to allow pastor. They were working in a in an area where people had been kicked out of their villages because they loved the Lord, but they didn't really understand what they'd done by coming to Jesus, even though that made them be kicked out of their villages. And they needed teaching from the Word of God. And we had some Derek Prince teaching that was about the uh, what being a Christian really means: the divine exchange of the cross. And we were able to give that to her. And when we said, how many would you like? She said, how many have you got? I want it all. You know, these kind of things are the things that God will do. Exciting, different things that God is God. And he's powerful to do. Okay, changing, being flexible, looking at things in a different way. Okay, so the next thing that I saw here was... The opposition. And you know, you need to actually be training right now in how to deal with the opposition that the devil will send. Because it is strong. When you go to another culture, it's more strong and it's different. And it sometimes surprises you. What we were surprised by in Laos was territorial demons. Now, we have them here, but we're sort of used to them. So you could probably name them because they sit over our nation. And if you think of some things that sit over our nation, you can probably, or else you just might be asleep and they might just be there. So you can think, if you see things like independence, well, that sits over our nation. You see things like materialism and greed. Those things are some things that sit over our nation, but they cuddle down around us, and we're used to them. And sometimes we don't even see them because they're part of our culture now. But when you go to somewhere like a communist country, what you is over that nation are some really things that we aren't so, so um, um, used to, like intimidation and control, and manipulation. They're really strong, and they get into Christian organizations if they're not careful, because people don't, they just, they just think they're normal, and they're not normal. And when we go in there, we're going, hey, wait a minute. Ooh, and, you know, there were times when Alex and I went away for the weekend because the territorial demons on our stretch were strong, and... Actually, we needed a break. And when we removed ourselves for the weekend, we had a weekend of rest. 
So we have to realize that we are fighting not against flesh and blood, but against things, demonic forces in the heavenlies. And we need to learn not to be afraid of them, but to know our authority, because Jesus said, I give you authority. So we've got to know it so we can go, because then we can go without fear, because we know that our God reigns and our God wins. The victory is in the name of Jesus. You know, we've got to know that. So know it now before God sends you. Practice it now before God sends you out because this will stand you in good stead for the rest of your life and then God will be able to raise you up to lead because you cannot lead unless you can stand with authority. You are not a leader unless people are prepared to come along behind you. And if, if you can't see in somebody the ability to stand in the face of opposition, you probably aren't going to follow them. So oh, it's really key. And if you listen to how um, Paul dealt with chapter 13, verse 6, and they actually had a very blatant false prophet standing up against them. And they travelled through the whole island till they came to Pathos, and there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Okay. <coughs> the, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But the sorcerer, and he's got several names, um, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the face. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the key, looked straight at him and said, well, this is strong, guys. You are a child of the devil and an, and an enemy of everything that's right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop him, um, perverting the right ways of God? Now the hand of the Lord is against you and you are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Anyone dare? That's actually very powerful, isn't it? And that's a work of faith. That's a work of faith to be able to stand and believe and declare that. And I believe the time's coming when this will come back to the church. You know, because this is what we need to do. We need to show that the authority of the name of Jesus is far greater. And But look what happened, you see. It wasn't all bad. It was all good. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Actually, it was the teaching he was amazed at but it didn't hinder the fact that miracles happened in their presence. So they were able to handle opposition, and we also need to learn that. So the next thing that we see is chapter 14, verse 19 and 20. So they're still on their missionary journey, and they've had this amazing thing where people thought they were God. This is a bit of a high thing, you know, when people are thinking, oh, you're God, I want to bow down to you because look at the miracles you do, this is so awesome. And so they have put them on far too high a place. And they were horrified. 
Well, Paul and Barnabas absolutely horrified. And they just was, no, 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 no. Don't do this because we're just men. But straight after that, in came some Jews from Antioch, verse 19, and Iconium, and won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. Derby. See, actually, you know that's very two-dimensional. So what you have to do is, you have to think, what was that like? How did that feel? Oh my goodness, that hurt. Did he taste the dust? Did he smell the sweat of the people who were so angry as they pushed him out of the city? You know, these are the real things about how these missionaries lived. You know, it is costly to be a missionary. And all the more today when there are very violent and different opinions throughout the world. In our own culture, it grows costly to be a Christian. But you know, when Paul spoke to the Ephesians later on and talked about some of these things in his life and the things to come, he said, nothing moves me because I've got to finish my task. Nothing moves me. And he's talking about opposition. Nothing moves me. I have chosen to follow God. I pursue the master. And this will not change anything. And you know, in our lives, there's a time where we make that decision ourselves. And we say nothing will move us because we choose to pursue God with everything we have. And you know, this is the heart of a missionary. I don't care if you're a missionary here with your neighbour or where, but the heart of a missionary is, I have chosen and it is done. You have to have absolutely chosen because if you have not, when you get over and you're doing a long-term assignment, there will be some incredibly um, discouraging times and you will pack up and go home. And I'll tell you what some of those kind of things will be. Sadly, strong disagreements and hurts with other missionaries. You wouldn't think it, would you? That's been some of the most painful stuff in our missionary life. Boredom. Yeah, you can laugh, but when you're a long-term missionary, you don't speak a huge amount of the language and there are no English resources anywhere. What do you do? And the missionary that you work with is very keen on guarding their privacy in the weekends. So what do you do? You need to learn to be content without internet, without um, many of the, without your friends around the corner, without the fish and chip shop down the road, without the, you name it, you need to learn to live a contented life without these things. Start a fast, guys. See if you can do a week. You know? That's the thing. It's okay on a short-term trip. It's lovely. You get to know all the people and they're making a special effort because you're there only for a short time and you just feel so engrossed, involved and all that. But when you're over, a, you've gone past the year, it's different. So you know we need to train ourselves 
about what really matters and how we can be content in whatever situation we find ourselves. If we're going to go out, that's what we need to be able to do. And you know, this could happen here as well. We might need to be content in prison. Is it possible? Well, yes, it is. In every situation, Paul says he's learnt to be content. Okay, so we're just about there, guys. Um, and the last thing, they were disciples. They were not converters. If you only do the bringing people to Jesus, it's so easy for them to fall back when the hard times come. And you know, God calls us to learn to be disciples, people who follow up. And we were talking, Alex and I, we had a, a, a video conference with our Thai workers that we we're working with yesterday. And they said the hardest thing that they are finding at the moment is churches do not follow people up and they just slip out the cracks. And you know, this is something that God has on his heart because he did not say be converters. He said to be disciples. If you look at the Great Commission, it says go and make disciples of all nations. Now, disciples are taught ones. They're ones who have a relationship with their teacher, a close relationship. They often even lived in those days with their teacher. And they imbibed by osmosis, what the teacher did, how he lived, all those kind of things. Well, you know, God calls us to take under our wings people and to walk closely with them, however that means in the culture we're in. In our situation, what it means is we are working to enable the pastors to teach well the word of God because they often, in Thai and Lao languages, they don't have so much available for them to use to mature their church. Now, they have got the ability, way more than we could ever have, to bring people to Jesus, but sometimes they don't have the resources to lead them to a mature relationship and a good kind of church structure. Whatever it is, whatever kind of people God leads you to, you are a missionary for him in some way. And you know, sometimes we ask a question of God that's the wrong question. We ask God, God, should I be involved in mission? A wrong question, guys. The question is, how should I be involved in mission? How? Because he's already, Jesus has already said to us, go do it. So we know that's, a, that's part of, of being the Lord's. But the question is how? So we're going to look. So can you flip to the next, the last one? I've got a quote here. This is from a guy, 1900, he wrote this. He was a revivalist. And in those days, they also saw the missionary problem was there's so many people who don't know Jesus and so few people who are going out to share and this is what he wrote. Let us always remember, the missionary problem is a personal one. A passionate love to Jesus Christ 
born out of his love, truly possessing each one of us personally, will teach us to pray, to labor, and to suffer. Let us pray for such a love. And you know, a missionary heart comes out of love. Because if it doesn't come out of love, it becomes duty just like every other religious kind of thing. And so it's no better to go overseas if you are taking a religious heart because it will stink and no one will want to follow. We've got to take a heart of love. This is our love for our neighbor. This is the first commandment which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength first. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the great commandment, to love God and those around us. Because if you think about what you'd love someone to do for you, the greatest thing that somebody can do for you is to tell you about Jesus. There is nothing greater than that. Paul says that he's absolutely compelled to share. And we want the Lord to make us like that, that in some way that the Lord leads us and shows us as our way of sharing that we will be compelled by the Spirit of the Lord, and he will give us every enabling and anointing to bring people into the kingdom because the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. And so not only are we praying, Lord, send into the harvest, but you know, that was prayed from a position of them actually already out there. They weren't praying it from being back in the seats of the church. They were praying it as disciples who were going out. And that's our prayer, Lord, send us. Send others, equip. Time is short. So, Father, you are the one that we love. You are the great missionary God. You sent Jesus out of your great love for us. And we want to be what you want us to be in this world today. And so we say to you, God, deal with us. Deal with our bits and pieces. Deal with our weaknesses so that we can be the ones who go out. So that we can be the ones who say, here am I, God. Send me. Come on, stand, everybody. This is just a time when we can just do our own personal talking to the Lord. Lord, we love you. You just talk to him about what he's saying to you. It might be that this is the first time that you thought, gosh, this could be me. It might be that you're halfway through and you're going, oh, I'm in this process already, God. I'm waiting be in this part with me. Let me use this wisely until you direct me. It might be that you're getting older, but I've got to tell you that we were late 50s when the Lord called us out, and there's many people on the mission field who are giving the later years of their life. Age is just a number. I heard it this morning. 